you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Success Report. The Success Report. Okay, so... Before we continue down solutions or, or talking more about how do we address these problems, I think we should, you know, make sure we clearly define some terms, um, just to make sure that, you know, when we're speaking, um, it's it's fully understood, you know, or or I should say what we're saying isn't misunderstood. So, um, first off, I think we we're going to use the term welfare as a more gener general general uh, way of addressing problems. Uh, or, or giving assistance. And why I say general, I mean, we're not, if I use the term welfare, if we use the term welfare, we're not going to speak specifically to a private or public solution, i.e. government versus charity. Um, we'll try to use public versus private or, or charity as a distinguishing, distinguishing factor between those two types of solutions. Um, the second thing, I think, you know, Darnell, tell me if you agree, but, but we would say for the when we when we're speaking about a welfare um, solution, we're we're actually refer we think welfare should be transitional in nature. Oh yeah, most definitely, I, I would say that. And so, um, again, to be clear, we're not speaking about the person who is unable to work, right? Like the war veteran who's lost three out of the four limbs, or or you know something crazy along those lines where someone in society is in absolute need of help because they can't help themselves. Um, you know, we're not obviously we're not speaking about welfare should be transitional for those people. Now, if for some reason we could help those people, obviously we would try to pursue that um, to to be able to be self sufficient. But in general, um, the welfare solutions, if they aren't transitional in nature, the question becomes: Are they really helping people, or are they just, um, you know, is is it is it really a net good? If it if the system or the program isn't designed to help them get back to providing for themselves, um, so you know let's let's kind of go back to that article I referred to, which is what if charity replaced taxation? I'll make sure that this is in the show notes page um, for the this episode, and uh, I'm not going to get into all of it. The article is kind of broken out into four categories of you know there's a moral plea for why private charity is better than public in essence better than taxation there's a political plea um, there's a financial plea which is what i want to focus on uh, and then lastly there's also a psychological plea um, I'll, I'll briefly touch the psychological plea because i think i've mentioned it on the show before but i have this position that i think we have made charity impersonal because of the size of our government programs and i think that that, that would to me be the psychological plea and that is you know, we need to take personal responsibility for our community. And so much of our charity is through, uh, an, you know, an, another organization or, or through government in such a way that it's not personal. We don't take, we don't consider um, the fact that our neighbor is, you know, unable to pay their bills because they just lost their spouse and they're in like, we, we don't necessarily consider that to be our problem. We kind of think of it as, you know, something beyond us. Um, you know, oh, there's a government program for that guy. Like, we already have a system. That person just needs to go find the right program. And so 
I, I think as a result, we as a society um, actually contribute less on net because we, we don't we don't take responsibility for our community. Um, and so to me, that's a psychological plea that I would make to people is that like we we need to take more personal responsibility for those in our community that are in need, even though government programs exist. Um, so the financial plea that I that I would make uh, this is I would say I have some experience uh, previously working for government. I won't throw that government completely under the bus. Um, <laughs> no pun intended for those of you who know uh, why that actually has a pun. Um, but uh, I, I've seen some of the the aspects of of what I'm about to say within a government you know organization. Um, but the other side of it is the economics of it. Um, and so, you know, the economics of it being how are people motivated in the two organizations? Um, you know, if you look at a charity, the charity, as much as revenue and expenses aren't intrinsically linked, which is the same for government, revenue and expenses aren't intrinsically linked. The difference is with a charity or a nonprofit, if you don't spend money well your donors will cut off your revenue right so i always bring up this example um i've probably already might even have said it already today um if there's a charity uh when when haiti uh when haiti got destroyed by a tropical storm you know there's a a story of a a charity that took in two million dollars and only built like two houses you know no one's gonna donate to that charity in the future Mm-hmm. Right, but the government program doesn't have that same kind of reciprocal. Oh, you, this government program just was horrible at spending money. Well, what do they do? Right, they you don't even really see it because it's within budgets. It's within you know the bureaucracy levels. You, you know, we don't get to say, oh, you know, this is a really good government program. I want to donate more of my tax dollar, or I donate. I want to designate more of my tax dollars to that program. We don't have that kind of influence. Our influence is, oh, we elect an official and we get that, we let them make decisions. And so the point is that, you know, the government programs that are really really good, might just not be politically um, advantageous, so they don't get more money. Um, or the the motivation is it's it's through budget arguing or or through budget political process, right? So if you ever go to your city council meetings, you know there might be arguments, and it might just be oh, more people from the you know community showed up to the council members and argued that this is important. But I mean, maybe the people who it's important to work nine to five and are unable to show up to that you know, to actually make their arguments or don't realize that that's a necessary part of getting more tax dollars, to, you know, designated to the the cause or the, the charitable act that you're in need of. And so the point is simply to say that, you know, unfortunately, the government program doesn't have the, you know, ability to say you suck, we're no longer giving you money, but the private scenario does. Um, you know, obviously, the the counter argument to my position would be that, well, if it's just through charity, i.e. voluntary transactions, there's going to be an insufficient number of funds. My simple response to that would be, there's always an insufficient number of funds. <laughs> like, we can always have more donate money to charity, we can always help people more. And so, you know, that I would say, 
as much as I'm not, I'm not trying to dismiss that argument. I'm saying we need to go deeper than just simply saying, well, the private charity is insufficient. Well, all charity is insufficient, right? So, so why would private charity not be enough? And maybe $2 million in private versus $5 million in public might, the 2 million might even be more effective. So you can't just look at it monetarily. Now, I know I would probably need to argue why the 2 million is more effective. I'm just trying to demonstrate that it's not as simple as just going dollar for dollar because they're two intrinsically different organizations and you need to look at effectiveness of spending, um, not just amount of spending. And generally speaking, government is looked at based on total dollars. Um, how much have you heard, of, you know, how there's been, you know, complaints from the teachers unions right now about, you know, Ford, the Ontario premier cutting federal spending. It's purely about spending. It has nothing to do with effectiveness of spending. Maybe they've been really bad. And so they're trying to redesign the entire program to be more effective at spending. And you could actually do the same with less because you've redeveloped, you know, redesigned the program. Mm. But the argument's all about, oh, we have less money. Mm -hmm. Well, it almost seems like with people, they might be ineffective at giving. Uh, and so it almost seems like the government you know, takes that responsibility to to give. So like like some proposed solutions through the government we know about are uh, cash tra transfers, right? Mm -hmm. um, which And also trying to sustain employment, the government trying to create jobs. Um, and trying to decrease corporate taxes so that you know corporations uh, would hire more workers. We also know about um, just overall government spending and building roads, um, infrastructure, and so forth. But I think it's interesting, like you said, welfare and talking about conditional transfers. Uh, so transfers are giving to those uh, who are seeking employment. Um, so this would create incentive for people. Um, this might create incentive for people not to work. Um, as we've um, kind of talked about in the past. So, you know, there's there's many ways that the government works, but I feel like sometimes, well, not sometimes, all the time, and this is why we, the government is taking the lead on giving because people aren't going to give. Uh, what do you, what do you, how do you feel about that? Well, I think, you know, part of the problem is that government also um, crowds out private charity. Right. So, so, you know, the government might look at a scenario and say, oh, you know, like in the, in, if you look at historically the last 200 years, majority of charity came through church or community organizations like that. And, you know, perfect example would be like, um, housing, right. But in the sense of, oh, there's homeless people, they need a place to sleep. Right. And, and now government basically, I, I don't know if it's this way in Ontario, but I've seen headlines about, you know, basically government's municipal governments making it illegal for for churches to allow homeless people to sleep in their buildings overnight yeah but it, you know i think the key question i think for the listener they should be well i'd ask them is is there and then you as well but is there enough incentive for people to give to charity well and and i think this goes back to my when i was making the psychological plea that that to some extent the the right now today if you were to just blow up the government programs 100 percent, there's not enough incentive because psychologically we don't take responsibility for our community that's in need mm -hmm. so how do we get to a place where we do that so transition again you know my answer is always like i'm the anarchist or the ancap you know i want to see a capitalist you know um essentially profit motivated organization or an organization that needs to be sustainable financially 
solving these problems because I think they can do it longer, better in the long run. But I recognize that if we just blew up the programs we have today, that there's it would be extremely painful and it would not succeed in the short term. Yeah, because uh, it's like, so, so is it in man's nature to give to charity? And yes and no, but I'll focus just more so like on the yes, like mm-hmm. a man giving. But I would like even biblically, like when we look at the church, like the church gives, but only to its own. Like, yes, they might set up things for the poor who don't attend the church. But, you know, I was a person who had to dip into the diaconate fund <laughs> when I was in a jam. What, what did you call it? The Di- diaconate fund. Oh, we call it benevolence. Oh, no, well, we're, we're you know, maybe a two hundred year old church, man. So you got you, you got these historical historical terms. The words that nobody uses no longer. <laughs> I know, but I like I like diaconate. Just, yeah, no, I like uh, I like yeah. So de- oh, sorry, meaning um the, the deacon because the deacon's role um is to, to meet the basic needs of of the people, and the elder's role is to preach and teach. So that's why they use the term diaconate or yeah, deacon yeah. fund. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So so I so I had to dip in the to the diaconate fund. And that was, was when you had the medical. Yeah, 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 when I was sick and it blessed me and they took care of me. They were like my my welfare system. And I thought to myself, I'm like, man, so what if people aren't part of the church? Um and they don't have and, and not even to put my family on blast, but the church supported me more than my own family. They gave me more than my own family. So for people who aren't going to church who aren't Christians, um, who don't have family, where do they turn to for charity? And that's why I would say that's where they, they'd have to go to the government. Well, and, and then I would say that's, you know, again, go back to my, I use the term community. And I, I specifically use that term because community is such a generic term. For you, majority of your community is your church. But historically, you know, prior to this uh, Uber mobilization that we have, whether it's digitally or even, you know, vehicles, your community literally was the, the where you lived. And I don't know about you, but dude, I barely know half my neighbors. Like even, you know, if you look at the six houses around you, how many people do you really know or five houses that are touching your house? How many people do you really know? I literally know really two, right? I, I've had, I don't even think I've had a conversation with half of them, right? So three out of the six, I haven't even had a, or three out of five, I haven't even had a conversation with, right? And so my point is that we... You know, what is your community? And so to some extent, if you don't have community at all, like obviously who, there's nobody, right? You have to go to the government. You have to go to this like. And so, you know, if we had more sense of ownership of our community, even if you like, you know, if you created this concept of like, I mean, I'll use it generically, even though I mean, sure, people can criticize about the, the category of thing. I'm going to it was just homeowners associations, but like take that concept to say like oh we care about the people that live on our street we care about the people that live in our block right so you know taking the fact that i might not physically know my neighbor but i'm going to use a homeowners association to take to use that as a proxy to say you know i want as local of a government to help take care of my community as possible because you know if the guy across my street is impoverished and he's in need of food, there's more likelihood he's going to steal from somebody because he has to. Mm. And I don't want that. I'd mm. rather, you know, everybody in the neighborhood contributes 10 bucks to prevent this guy from stealing. Mm-hmm. But but we, ha- again, we've disassociated ourselves from the immediate community. Mm-hmm. And and so, again, I go back to my psychological plea to say, like, hey, how much of that is a factor? What can, what can we do today to, to relieve that kind of 
I don't have responsibility for yeah, my community. Yeah, I, I, I like that you say that. And, you know, you know, our tagline is six cents makes change. And yes, it's a tagline, but we also believe like that's a real thing that what we're trying to do is equip you, the listener, um, to be that change. And a lot of times it just takes one person and two, you know what I mean, two or three people um, to make a you know, a big change in your community and so and so forth. So like, for example, um, in the book, uh, when helping hurts, uh, continuing to that. So when helping hurts, how to alleviate poverty without hurting the poor and yourself by Steve Corbett and Brian, um, Fickert. So there's a portion where he talks about not all poverty is created equal and how to help and, and, and nuancing the help, uh, so, for example, like you mentioned about relief. So so there's three um, aspects to um, helping people in need. So just quickly, um, he, we have relief. So relief can be defined as the urgent and temporary provision of emergency aid to reduce immediate suffering uh, from natural or man-made crisis like tsunami victims, right? So... Uh, the key feature of relief is a, a provider-receiver dynamic in which the provider gives assistance, often material, right? And then the the next one is rehabilitation. And rehabilitation is uh, if he, the dynamic of working with the tsunami victim as they participate in their own recovery, moving from uh, relief to rehabilitation, and finally, development is not done to people or for people, but with people. So the key questions for those who are providing assistance to those in need is, first, is there really a crisis at hand? Second, to what degree was the individual personally responsible for the crisis? Third, can the person help himself? And fourth, to what extent has this person already been receiving relief from you or others in the past? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a the biblical passage that I think is somewhat underlying what you're talking about is, or the last part at least, is Second Thessalonians 3.10, which says, uh, and I'm reading from the NASB, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. The idea being that those who are, you know, uh, materially poor because of their unwillingness to put in the effort that's necessary to provide for themselves, the problem isn't that they need money. <laughs> right so you you or you know you shouldn't be enabling that bad behavior right like irresponsibility yeah is to some like this is what this is saying right? yeah and, so, and 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 i know and i know i just want to just um make sure that i'm clarifying what you're saying so you're not saying that all um people who are in financial difficulty don't want to get out of it but there are those who self-imposed yes yeah so so i just want to make sure that you're not no painting with a right? broad like, brush so the key word here is is anyone not willing to work, right, is the key part of that phrase. It's not saying the person who's unable mm -hmm. or the person who can't yeah. find. Mm -hmm. It's the person who's not willing. Yeah, that's good. Right? Um, I mean, at the, verse 11 basically says undisciplined life, right? So, I mean, let's flip that around. Maybe the person's 
working, but they have a gambling problem, right? Giving them more money is it's it's like that show. Um, there was a I think it was called Intervention, right? One of the biggest parts of that show. This was Intervention was about drug addicts and and but the thing the big takeaway it's like for me on a high you know broad spectrum level is many times those that are around the addict need to do some harsh things to stop enabling the behavior before that person's willing to make the necessary changes right so someone who's in a gambling problem or you know spends way to a, a financial uh illiteracy problem just giving them money isn't going to solve the cause of their prop of the the fact that they're you know underwater financially right and so you know this is where I would say government programs, you know, don't deal with nuance properly, right? Because sometimes it's not a revenue problem, right? Sometimes it's not, I can't make enough money to survive for myself. Sometimes it's, I'm spending too much. Sometimes it's, I'm in a situation that's overwhelming. I mean, I like to, you know, to some extent create a, I'll describe a scenario. Like if somebody inherits a house that has a mortgage from their family member, you know, maybe they need to be counseled into learning look, you need to sell that house. Yeah, it's great. It would be great if you could keep it. It was in your family. and But, you know, maybe if you try to carry that, unless you're, the mortgage is too high, the cost of carrying it, property taxes, all these things might be too high in such that, you know, based on your current level of income, you need to move to a different neighborhood where maybe the house cost is three quarters. And so now your mortgage is, you know, one, one half. And, and that's something that you financially can do. Um, and so the idea here is that they don't really have a income problem that they can solve in the short term, right? It's not mm-hmm. like we're talking about a person who's lost their job and they need financial help for the mm-hmm. next six months while they're looking for work. No, mm-hmm. we're talking about the person who's taken on too much expenses mm-hmm. and saying they need to be counseled financially to say like, sorry, but the, the, the solution is to solve your expenses problem. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, what I've just described. Yeah, to but you, that's like, well, that's financial literacy. Yeah, but but here's my point is that this is the nuance of individual. And this is where, you know, the, the benevolence through the church is really valuable because it's not as simple as going like, oh, I need help. Like you literally need to sit down and be like, here's the problem. You know, you need to be transparent with the, with the private charity, right? You need to be telling them, hey, here's what's going on. I can't work because I'm in the hospital. Here's what our expenses are. We've already done everything we can to minimize you know, essentially we're just covering our basic needs and my one, you know, my wife only working in your scenario yeah, 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 is, yeah, yeah. is like, hey, we have no money, right? right. Like, you know, we're, we're able to pay rent and that's it. I don't have money for food. I don't have money for my car insurance, like, because we only have one income. And so that's the aspect where, you know, this passage that I shared comes into play, but mm-hmm. also just that idea of nu- dealing with nuance, yeah. right? And again, go back to what we started with. Welfare should be transitional. Yeah. We're trying to help the person get to the place where they don't need welfare. The person who has a mortgage on a house that they inherited that's beyond their means, is the welfare is not transitional mm-hmm. until the mortgage is paid off, which like 15 years welfare is not transitional, right? Like sure, maybe two years, but anything beyond two years of help you know, we start to question of like, is this the right program? And I would say, unfortunately, government programs aren't structured that way because yeah. they don't deal with nuance. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you're right. And uh, and it feels like there's a lot of, you know, people that 
are in financial difficulty because they're financially illiterate. Um, and I, you know, trying to empower those people and teach them how to uh, be self-sufficient apart from the government uh, is, is a big task, even for like one organization, because even, even now, and you, you know what, actually you would know this better than me as an accountant, you know, having people open up their books for you. Yeah. And sit down. Yeah, the transparent financial financial transparency is a killer. Even in in the marriage, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is a killer to be able to sit down and say, "Okay, hey Joel, uh, so here's my books," yeah. and you're like, "Is that all of them, Darnell?" <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. You well, know? and I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but like, I, I presume you have the same approach as like, we got one bank account, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. there there's no books to open other than like, okay. Let's yeah, go back and review. Yeah, you, you know, maybe I have a credit card and she has a credit card, or yeah. you have a debit. You know, you have your yeah. own spending. You know, potentially where there's a bit of like yeah. you need to show the other and, person. And you know, and and, and Sean Adiemi, uh from Dollar Savvy Podcast, who we've had on the show before, he he mentions he's mentioned on the show that like yeah, it's difficult to to get people to be tra- financially transparent. And that's why a lot of people don't seek that financial help. They'd rather just nosedive. And I've seen that in my own family where people rather just, you know, nosedive than to open their books because it's such an intimate thing. Um, well, and pride, to, I think. That, that, that accountability, that financial accountability. And and, and I'm we're, we're talking about this and we're saying this because, you know, to help that person who is on the street and helping them get off, like there has to be some financial transparency looking at like, okay, we're going to give you this, these funds. How are you planning to use it? Yeah. Um, Or, or even, you know, I know we've been talking about funds, but like go back to the homeless thing, right? mm -hmm. Well, maybe we're going to give you housing support. Right. Right. So, so this is like, I mean, in economics, we use the term like in, in cash transfers versus in kind transfers. You know, you would be giving someone an in kind transfer and obviously, okay, sorry, sorry Define in, in kind would basically be, you're giving them a specific good. Okay, and then so cash transfers, a, cash transfer. Yeah, yeah. Right, and so, okay. I mean, yes, there's an argument that, um, you know, uh, an in-kind transfer, so giving a housing support mm-hmm. to somebody with, you know, an addiction problem or a stress problem. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, one of the things that we I learned, um, so there's a uh, this website called Homeless Hub. They had a, uh, a study called At Home, uh, one of the key takeaways I took from it was that those with uh, mental health issues, the that was contributing to their you know financial distress, having you know relieving the home the cost of housing was a really con- good factor in helping them pro- gain progress with their mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And so, like I would say, an in kind transfer of housing potentially could be better for them because it limits their ability to make poor financial decisions. So and sorry, sorry, so are, are you saying that um, for people who have mental health to give them housing, you mean? This this study uh-huh. showed that it, it actually had a lot of benefit to help because one of the biggest issues with mental health is the burden of stress. It like compounds the mental health issue. Mm-hmm. And so by helping with housing, you're relieving a huge category of stress. Right. So, okay. The housing is a result of it's not that the housing in itself is good. Yeah. Because it's that's the relief a, of stress yeah. that helps them then deal with their mental health issue. Yeah. Because it, it's a big thing, you know, mental health. Because, uh, you know, I go to church downtown and so there's a lot of homeless people and we got um, like a lot of homeless shelters um, downtown and within the area of our church. So, so I see a lot of homeless people and 
usually it comes across as like you know some of them aren't well mentally and and it makes you think like okay well you know how'd they get in the situation now i have um family members on both sides who have mental health issues and one of the things that you know i've kind of contemplated was um you know my family has taken care of those family members who um who have mental health issues i'm not uh, like severe mental health issues where they've constantly and it's been a struggle and it's been hard a lot of heartache but you know the mothers especially the mothers and the fathers as well they don't want their son on the street they don't want their daughter on the street like even though their child isn't what they once what once what they once were what they once was um they they still bear the burden of saying okay you know what this is still my son this is still my daughter um, i'm going to take care of them i'm going to put a roof over their head i'm going to continue to provide funds for them and and it's one of those things you're like yeah some families are like that but then some families are not or sometimes the, it's maybe the mental health issue is so severe the person has to like run away from home or, and or wander not that the they streets have to, but they feel that yes, they sorry, have to. yes, yes, sorry, yes, yeah, sorry. They, yeah, 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 yeah. They, you're right. They feel that they have to, and then so that they're on because the they're ashamed. They're you know, yeah, of course, and and just factors. yeah, yeah, and just you know, not mentally well, where they just can't continually run away from home and and live mm-hmm. on the streets. So they don't want to be there, but because of their mental health, which takes a lot of time to treat, and it's just one of those things that you know we don't want to paint the homeless but with a broad brush and say okay well these are all you know like the term we used to use growing up you know bums yeah 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 you know oh this guy's a bum yeah yeah, now i'm thinking like yeah that's that's very insensitive because yeah you don't know you don't know why they're there yeah you you, you don't know legit the term we use for bums like you know would probably be you know if you as a kid you probably thought of like the addict who's completely irresponsible who's put themselves there yeah and and now, why are they an addict? Are, do they have mental health issues that they were medicating and mm-hmm. then they became addicted? And mm-hmm. then, you know, so again, we might have this perception of what a bum was as a child, mm-hmm. especially in our high level of ignorance yeah. Yeah. that, that, you know, that term might have made sense. Mm-hmm. But there's so many. And, and this is where like this issue, you know, even when we started going through all these myths that like, yeah, some of these myths have a minor component of truth. But mm-hmm. like how does someone end up a homeless is such a broader yeah, and, and more comprehensive and issue. I, and like what, like I mentioned before the previous episode where I have two friends who, who, who were homeless or one who is homeless and one who was homeless for the one who was homeless. He was saying to me that, you know, his, his family situation, um, you know, he couldn't rely on his family anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had to be out on the street because of his family. So like I was saying like before, you know, I wouldn't be homeless yeah. because I have, I have a, uh, I have a huge community. I, I have a net to fall well, back this, on. This goes back to where I was saying, but, like we need, the reason why we need the psychological change is because mm-hmm. we need to build community around people, right? Yeah. We need people to yeah. like the people who are living in isolation are, are almost like oh i don't need community yeah but it might not even be that you need community it's that the people that are around you need your community yeah right yeah. it's like i mean but that's I don't know tough you... but that but that's tough because the way the way we move today like you said no you know nobody really knows their neighbor or people want to opt Uber for mobilization yeah or or, or, or or people want smaller families and now i think about the ramifications of smaller families because you know uh you know the older generation, my my family's older generation. Yeah, you when know, you have five or six siblings. Yeah, like you have yeah, so many people that yeah, you can call fi- on, yeah, right? like yeah. Five blood or six is thicker than water, bro. bro. Like, yeah, it's it's true. Know, it's, it's true. So, 
be, like, I, and that's why I'm benefiting today from, you know, my grandma having five kids and then my, you know, my other side, you know, them having four, yeah. you know, yeah. and then my wife, you know, um, there's, there's five, seven kids on one side, you know what I mean? And then, yeah, so yeah. you're really looking at, okay, well the net just got bigger because I'm married. Yep. You know what I mean? So it's not yep. just my mom and dad's side, but it's also uh, my wife's mom's side and my wife's but if, dad's side. But if you're, you know, if you had one sibling, your wife has one sibling, yep. you know, you're talking about a pretty yep. small family. Yep. Like yeah. even at two kids a family. Oh, like yeah. I don't, you know, my, my grandparents had four kids and then there's 10 grandkids. Uh-huh. So I essentially have, you know, besides my three bro- two brothers, uh-huh. I have seven cousins. Mm-hmm. And like, I would say, you know, I see any of them you know, because we just got together as a family, right? Like Christmases were always Christmas, like Thanksgiving, the, all of that. You Easter. Know, all of, everyone under my grandparents got together. Yeah. For every year, right? Yeah. We still do it. Yeah. Right. Like, dude, my favorite part of Christmas is the paper ball fights that we have. Like, it's not even <laughs> the gifts, bro. It's just yeah. like that. That you know, fun like whipping balls at you know, paper uh-huh. balls at each other because uh-huh. we're not gonna hurt each other. Yeah. But, you know, hitting my uncle in the face when he's not looking. Like, yeah. You know, it's just that that community kind of like. But well, people we've gone away from that. You know, people yeah, don't want that. Yeah. You know. Uh, and and I get some of it's transitional where like oh I had to move to a, a city where I don't know anyone because my job took me there but like that's where my point is like your neighbor doesn't take ownership of the fact hey this person just nah, some people do obviously I'm not speaking everybody but some people like oh someone just moved in and yeah. like go out of your right. way to make community with that person and, because they need you probably way more than you need them yeah and. and I, I think about the you mentioned that and people opening up their homes and reaching out. And I think about Brian Dye, and we were part of the um, the, the, legacy the legacy kickback. Yep. And Brian came um, down to Toronto. And we were hanging out with him, uh, and you know, looking at the work that Brian's done in Chicago, inner city Chicago, and him opening up his home to relatively strangers. Yep. For guys who need a place to stay. So it's Brian and his wife. Uh, they have no kids, but um, he has you know rooms where guys can stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they put you know bunk beds up in the rooms. Uh, so multiple men will stay there at a time who need to get back on their feet. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, and so so you know these guys don't have money, so you know they basically have responsibilities around the home. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know he's a hero. He's a hero to many. A uh, hero to me. Um, and the work that he's done and being able, you know, taking hospitality, you know, hospit- hospitality, to hospitality the next level. to the next level, um, you know, so it's very inspiring for me. And, and, and it's something that sends me into prayer and like, OK, well, am I doing enough mm-hmm. um, to to love on my community and, and put, um, you know, and, and show the love of Christ to those who, who are in need? So so it was really good getting to know him and hang out, hanging out with him and learning how. Um, how he does what he does uh, it was very special and maybe you know a lot of people can learn from learn from that yeah i mean you know we're about to start wrapping up and i think you know one of the things i want to touch on just before we do is is really um you know we've been talking i think a lot about really good solutions um but i want to i want to change the you know, we've talked mostly about private solutions. We talked about what me and you as individuals or as people, you know, we need to do. Um, I think there's a couple more points I can make on that. And I'll, I'll, I'll save my, I think my favorite example to the end when we wrap up and I give final two cents. But I think, you know, one thing I want to touch on is, is the idea of like the government programs, for example, welfare. Um, there's just a, 
you know, they're, I, I have an example where it demonstrates it's not designed to be transitional. Now that might not have been intentional, but it's a combination of like the way the, the various programs work together, right? So there's a, a Learn Liberty article um, where they basically take uh, the city of Chicago and they're looking at wealth and uh, there's a graph here. And if you see the graph, you'll just be dumbfounded. But they basically use um, the income of an individual as like um, a whole bunch of, you know, government uh, assistance. So it would be the total income of a person would be their their wages. And um, you would add refundable tax credits. So, gov- you know, tax benefits, cash transfers, food stamps, housing, child care, um, medical assistance, and then even uh, Affordable Care Act tax credits. So, I mean, you can, and they have all of these kind of, I just described all of the like seven different, I think it's seven, um, different things they've kind of show the lines with like start with just net income plus um tax credits plus and then net income plus next thing right so but what they show is that you know when you're at the when you're getting everything your income when you're working like uh so um they have a graph where they're comparing annual total income versus annual just like income from your salary and really, when you're making like about $18,000 on your wages, your net benefits, including all these things, comes out at like $60,000. But the thing is from about, which is $825 per hour. And that line basically stays flat until about $15 an hour. So what that says is that the individual might be making $825 all the way until they're at $15 an hour is almost negligible in terms of actual net benefit changes other than okay my my salary actually makes more hopefully that means my job is more rewarding i'm doing a better job i'm, I'm growing in my skills but the problem is from 15 to about 18 dollars an hour their benefits go from like 60,000 the net total benefits go from 60,000 to 40,000 so for that person who's making uh, $15 an hour and they're going to get a promotion to a manager and they're going to start making $20, $20 an hour, they actually will lose $20,000 in benefits. So you've made welfare actually, um, the, this is called the welfare cliff. It's basically saying like you've made welfare the thing that they're like, no, no, I need to say no to that promotion because I can't afford losing all the benefits that I'm going to lose. And and the person, you know, this is a problem within the, the government program. Partially, I mean, this scenario is describing the fact that there's like, eight different programs that don't take each other into consideration and and they don't make uh in essence they don't make it transitional um, and this is where you know i would ask the you know the the bigger question i gave the example with the uh the person who inherited a house that person the qu- question is okay what's the cause of the, the financial difficulty right so we described financial literacy whatever it is right you know someone who has a 500 dollars tv internet cell phone bill a month the cause of their financial difficulty is their spending habits, right? And so how do we help that person isn't to give them more money. It's to help them rein in their spending habits, right? And so, you know, the the predicament with, you know, someone who became homeless, you know, what's the problem, right? So, um, you know, I want to bring this back down to the homelessness, you know, scenario and say, really, when we're talking about solving homelessness, um, I think the the myths alone point to the fact that there isn't one factor. 
Um, and so much of the our solutions, especially government, is aimed at managing the symptom, which is homelessness, and not aimed at addressing the cause of that symptom. Um, and as much as in the short term, yeah, we need to help resolve the homelessness problem, in the long term, just addressing homelessness isn't going to help resolve the cause, or, or I shouldn't say isn't going to, but is unlikely to be helping on a broad spectrum the causes. You know, I gave the example where it would help the person with mental health issues because potentially it relieves their stress, which helps them, you know, get to a point where they no longer have mental health issues. So, you know, Darnell, for you, what would you leave the listener with as to, you know, how are they, you know, how can they, how can they provide solutions or what do you recommend to them um, with respect to this issue of homelessness as a whole? I thought the book... When Helping Hurts gave a unique perspective on poverty. And it defined poverty as uh, the result of relationships that do not work. So poverty is the absence of shalom and all its meanings. So there's four relationships that people have that need to be um, made whole. So there's a relationship between you and God, you and yourself, you and others, and you and the creation. So these four relationships are the building blocks for all human activity. The effects of the fall are manifested in uh, the economic, social, religious, and political sphere that humans have created throughout history. So like for Western Christians, we need to overcome the materialism of Western culture and see poverty in more relational terms. It's not just about uh, giving money, but really getting to know somebody, build with them, uh, bring them into your home, feed them, and help them get back on their feet. Like you said, Joel, it's not up to just to the government uh, to help those in need. You know, We have a responsibility as well to our family members and to our neighbors. Yeah, I think for me, you know, I think um, I would challenge you, how do you take better uh, care of your community? You know, I think the example, uh, the one I was referring to earlier that I wanted to give is, you know, if you have a friend or, you know, someone within your community that you know is in a tough time financially, you know, when, when Christmas comes around, you know, chances are they may not have the extra money they need to get their kids gifts, right? So, um, you know, maybe it's going, dropping a, an envelope in their mailbox with a hundred bucks in it or 500 bucks in it or 20 bucks in it, whatever your, you know, range of dollars is, um, that, that you can help them be able to, you know, one, relieve the stress. But but I would also say to you, don't put your name on it. Don't let them know you're giving it to them. Because one, that demonstrates you're doing it out of, on, you know, you're not being selfish. You don't want the praise. But two, you know, they might be, ha you know, an aspect of like pride for them. Like they might be embarrassed of the fact that they can't afford to do these things. And so by giving them money without putting your name on it, there's an aspect of, Okay, someone just, you know, I, I presume they may have a greater appreciation for it because they don't have to, they don't have to think about, oh, the, you know, every time they see you, that you think of them in a certain way, you know, so they're the, the aspect of essentially, I'm saying like, anonymous giving to somebody who you know, is in need. Um, sorry, you're not going to get a tax break for that. But, you know, that's how we take care, better care of our community. Because um, you're taking care of them psychologically by not, you know, by not str straining the back and forth between you two because they don't know that you gave it to them. Um, yeah, I don't know. That, to me, I think is something that we need to do more of. 
Um, and then the other side of it is, you know, if you have a skill when it comes to, you know, financial literacy or when it comes to just, you know, something that you see your neighbors in need of, you know, volunteer for them, do it for them. You know, maybe mowing the lawn for your, you know, the person who's um, old, right? Like the old, the, the old neighbor offer to mow his lawn, offer to shovel his driveway, right? Just create community by serving one another. Um, and it doesn't have to be financially, but obviously financial is, is sometimes necessary. Um, so what's your two cents? You know, where did we, where did we leave out uh, a solution or, you know, as a, as a listener, what maybe you have a better solution, better proposed ways for, for us as a community to take better care of each other. We'd love to hear it. Hit us up on social media. Um, yeah. Six cents report on Twitter. You can follow me, Darnell. Uh, do go to Darnell, D-O-G-U-D-D-A underscore Darnell on Twitter and uh, Instagram. And T-Jewel and 39. What's your two cents? And remember, six cents makes change. It really does. But you heard me? Does that make sense?